This podcast is a part of the Podmania Podcasting Network. Check out podmania.co.uk to check out more of our great podcasts, features, reviews, match ratings and previews spanning the crazy and diverse world of professional wrestling. And welcome to another episode of the Stardom Cast, your now weekly audio source of all things World Wonder Ring. Stardom right here on the Podmania Podcasting Network. I'm your host, Rob Goodwin, and I am joined as ever by the beautiful, majestic Christopher O'Brien. How are you, Chris? I'm good. I had a weird argument on a dating site recently. Well, not a weird one, but you know, it's weird for me because um you know how i don't like jurassic park that much and i feel really annoyed about that because before people were shouting at me going how the fuck have you never seen jurassic park and i've seen jurassic park didn't like it and people were like well how the fuck do you not like jurassic park and it's like people are angry at me either way and just this way i've wasted two hours in a shit film but um yeah so she was talk ended up talking about movies told her about my thing told her about my list because i love my list and so when she showed i showed it to her went down she was called she was like commenting on, on the list as she went down we got to the boss and going why the fuck is jurassic park so <laughs> i don't know what i'm more surprised at here the fact that you had an argument on a dating site or the fact that you actually showed a girl you were looking to date or looking for something more, you actually showed her your list. I'm sorry, but at this point, um, I've come to the realisation that if I don't show people my weird side fairly early, when they find it, they leave after I, f- after I feel connected, no matter whether or not it's dating or friendship. So I'm just sort of like, I'm just going to show my weird straight away. <laughs> <laughs> just go all in. <laughs> this is me! <laughs> I'm an inherently compulsive weirdo, so <laughs> eventually they're just going to meet me going, why are you putting like your guitar picks in a circle? And I can't explain why, I just do it. It's <laughs> <laughs> just sitting, this is how I do things. No, that is how I do things. I have to have my coffee out, the same kind of mug, otherwise I get the ratio off. My Everything has to be in alphabetical order. This is just how things are done. Um, In... In not really in the sort of same vein because I don't think you'll understand this, but when iTunes was a big thing, um, before all your modern, <laughs> all your modern streaming sites, all your Spotify's, when music was ownership based instead of um, access based. I've written essays on this shit. Don't sit there and pretend. Oh, I don't. You don't know what iTunes is for youngun. Jesus Christ! Fucking this Napster. Is my... That's my fucking... Do- oh, I had LimeWire as a kid. That fucked up my computer. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, it was a walking virus thing, that was. Um, but- I, I weirdly got into Abba and I downloaded something that said Mamma Mia and it was just Bill Clinton going, I did not have sexual relations with that woman. However, you can get great deals at techfordeals.com. Makes sense. Makes sense. Um, so, yeah, when... Um- when iTunes was big, I had obviously an, I my iTunes library was absolutely fucking enormous, and I couldn't I couldn't turn my laptop off until all the songs were rated 
Um, all the song names had capital letters where they needed to have capital letters. All the album artwork was right. Um, all of the songs, all of the composers were right. So they all had to have the actual songwriting credits in there. Um, and they, most importantly, it all had to fit on my screen so that I could see it all. Um, yeah, that that ate into a lot of my fucking time. Um, I'm not going to lie. And now Apple are just getting rid of iTunes, just dismissing it like a <laughs> like be, a husk, like a tired husk, Chris. To be fair, I've been spending a lot of my time recently putting together my 1997 spreadsheet. <laughs> that is true. How How both sad and accomplished are you going to feel come the end of the 1997 project? Well, I was thinking about this the other day because I made it through Psycho Sid versus Undertaker at WrestleMania. And I'm like, if I can make it through this, I'm finishing the project. <laughs> if I can make it through this, I can make it through anything. Uh, to be fair, like, there's been some like proper great stuff. And then, like, finally got some Joshi in there. Keep it relevant. Finally got some Joshi in there. Um, Manami Toyota versus What's Her Name Ito. That was great. She got a table thrown at her foot. It was weird. Um, but then you had, like, because for some reason, I was, despite not liking WWF, especially in 97, thought, I'm going to watch every, like, WWF and WCW title match just so people don't, like, think I'm, by, by people, I mean, like, me and possibly Garth, think I'm, like, skipping over WCW because I'm a Mac. And then I watched, like, five Psycho Sid matches from the month of March, and I'm like, <laughs> He he was shite, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. I'm not. I'm not even going to pull the Garth argument where Garth was like he was a draw in the '90s in like '92. In 1992, it was a big man versus Hulk Hogan. You could have put fucking Giant Gonzalez there, and it would have drawn. I mean, we both know that's not true. Look at 1993. That's not true, but we both also know that WrestleMania 8 was fairly ticketed, and fa- and like the only mania of it was as much as a fail as that one at that point was Mania 7, because they put Sanderson Slaughter in the fucking main event. Don't like. I'm not going to sit here and hear he's a draw. He's not. He's shit, and I'm glad he broke his leg and retired. Damn, I, I I'm that angry at psycho having to watch that many Psycho Sid matches. Fucking hell. Um, right, okay. <laughs> that is the most passionately anyone has ever ranted about Psycho Sid. That's the most passion I've ever heard anyone talk about Psycho Sid, ever. Well, like, most people probably weren't watching Raw back in 1997. <laughs> so, yeah, anyway, aside from Chris's random 1997 OCD project, we are here to talk about some stardom. Now, originally, we were obviously going to record this on Sunday, but the whole um, Tag League Night 6 from Corican hadn't been uploaded to the site when we decided to uh, move it to Tuesday. And then the bastards put it all on, literally, as I sent the tweet out. So, sorry about that. But we're here now. We're here now. So we're going to talk about Nights 5 and 6 of the uh, Tag League. Um, but before we do that, Chris... Some really, really good news to come out of stardom. And this is probably one of the best things that's come out of stardom in a while. And that is that Suri has signed officially with stardom and is no longer a freelancer. And that takes effect from the 1st of November. How fucking happy are you about that? Um, I'm happy. Like In terms of like as a viewer, with the exception of now Suri has a chance of actually winning a title match, um, a single title match, I should say, um, nothing really is going to change <laughs> apart from 
Some people are going to lose out on Shiri, but I don't care about those people because we get Shiri, so I'm fine with that. <laughs> I'm going to say a lot of good things about Shiri during this podcast because, honestly, every time she's in the ring, she just impresses me more and more and more. The amount, the the caliber of matches that she is able to have with people, like the Starlight jumping ahead, the match that her and Mayu have with Suri and Natsupoi, it just goes to show that she she fought two very different matches. She fought the match with Mayu and she fought the match with Starlight. Two very different styles and looked amazing. And I've actually put in my notes that Suri could fight a rake and still get a seven-star match from me. Because she's that fucking good. She sells. She makes her opponents look amazing. And this, for me, is one of the biggest gets that stardom could possibly have. Because you're absolutely right, Chris. Any sort of hamstringing from getting titles by the fact that she was a freelancer has completely gone now. And I can only see amazing things for her. Because she's just captivating in everything that she does. Um, so I look forward to seeing what they do with Suri moving forward. I think next year could be a very, very big year for Suri. Yeah, could very much be. Because, you know, she's great and DDM are basically LIJ in terms of how hot we are and by stardom standards. So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Let's, let's get into the tag league itself then. Let's start with night five from the 25th of October. I believe this is the first time that Stardom have run Gunma from all the pre-match promos that we got. It was from Maibashi, uh, from the Yamada Green Dome Maibashi sub-event arena. Jesus Christ, that's a mouthful. In front of 237 people. Um, first, Chris, what did you think of the arena? And secondly, did you enjoy, in the main event, Mayu going up for the frog splash and then realising... Just how fucking close she was to the ceiling. It, it you know, it reminded me of. Um, I went to an ICW show in Edinburgh, and where was it? It doesn't really matter the venue, but um, I'll send you a clip actually because it like there's parts of it on YouTube. Um, one because you can see me in front row too. It was like in a nightclub, as where ICW normally runs. Well, doesn't know anyway. Um, and the lights were literally like high enough so like when someone like Wolfgang went to the top he almost banged his head on the fucking lights For me, it was just the fact that Mayu went up to the top touched the ceiling and her arms weren't fully outstretched and you're like Jesus Christ she's a bit she's a bit close to that and she just apparently just discarded that information and still jumped really really high and it was like oh my god like I know, there, I, there was I, no I sometimes... way that she wasn't going to hit it and somehow she avoided it so, like, you know how um, the Pokemon Wabafet isn't actually the thing in the front, it's the tail? I didn't know that, but sure. Um, I sometimes feel that's me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I get that. I get that. Um, so we started with tag team action, not tag league action. Match one, uh, the Oida tag team of Saki, Kashima, and Konami defeating Rina and Gokiken Death at 8 minutes and 19 seconds with my emblem. Now, obviously I watched the shows in order, and my first note for this was I wish they would acknowledge the dissolution of Tokyo Cyber Squad. Now, what I mean by that is, I understand that Rina is 14, and she is going to be fantastic. I think she's incredibly charismatic for her age. I think she's got really good things in her future. But And I understand that Goku can death. She's like a Pokemon. She can only say the word death. But there's there's been 
no acknowledgement from anyone about the fact that Tokyo Cyber Squad, this this faction that everyone loved, that Konami threw away. It's Konami's fault. No one has said anything. And I imagine that we are, you know, as soon as Jungle is recovering, recovered from her injuries, whenever that is, uh, get well soon, Jungle, obviously, um, we are going to head into an enormous Konami versus Jungle feud, which is going to be nice. But there was there was nothing here. It was just your typical opening promo of, I am looking forward to taking on Konami and Sakishima, you know, babyface. There was nothing. There was nothing the fact that I was part of Tokyo Cyber Squad and on the opposing team is someone who effectively threw it away. And I know it's a nothing tag match. And I know that, you know, it's Rena, she's 40. I know it's Death, she's a clown. But there should be something there. And it's a, it's a very small thing. I mean, the match, there's, there's nothing to talk about in this match, which is why I'm focusing on this. And obviously, with the events that take place in the opening of Night 6, it sort of makes a little bit more sense. But are you surprised that there hasn't been more acknowledgement of the fact that shit, Tokyo Cyber Squad isn't anymore? I think that kind of got derailed when Jungle got injured. Yeah, I do agree with that. I do and agree so, with that. I'm like, because when you're going to acknowledge that at that point, you kind of need a feud. And like, I don't think Death feels any strong emotions other than, you know, ennui. And <laughs> it, Rena's 14 again. So, like, in terms of like for TCS left and after Konami's defection, there's not really anyone. So, yeah. it kind of makes sense. I think this might be brought up more when Jungle comes back, at least with the Konami beef. So. Yeah, maybe. It was it was something that I hadn't really noticed up until this match. And I think yeah. it sort of stems from the fact that up until these two shows, they hadn't really done anything with Konami and I was sort of in a very a very sort of bullish mood of like, well, what the fuck was the point in turning Konami if they're not going to do anything with it? And then obviously they, they did. So looking at this match you know there's not a lot really to talk about aside from the fact that Goku and death making konami laugh isn't exactly great for the konami gimmick is it um what i did like at the start of this match was when death was doing the whole thing and then saki and konami just walked behind De death and death turns around and is so happy to see them <laughs> <laughs> just turns around like death <laughs> It's, just, it's like a fucking when you when I knock on the door with a dog in the house. I mean, that the fact that she got really scared of a weeder tie throughout the match and just started running away, shouting "scared death." Um, just what what are we I'm watching? Still not used to this. Exactly. I'm what are we watching? Not, like it gets worse in night two, but I'm still not used. To it, it. Yeah, it gets full on nightmarish in uh, on night two. Uh, Rena looked okay here. She, she was a bit sloppier than. I'm used to, you know, every time I've seen Rena in the ring, I've always been really... Again, I know she's 14, okay? I, I know. I'm not expecting Mayu-level matches from Rena at age 14, but even so, it, it was a nothing match with nothing really going on. It went a long time for something that wasn't really that important <laughs> as well. Eight minutes and 19 seconds. Um, I gave this it three stars. Yeah, I just gave it three gave stars, it, mate. I gave it four. I, I felt nothing, but I didn't feel as actively bad um but that's sort of a running theme throughout this show at least is like giving a lot of time to some weird matches 
like this next one. Yeah, absolutely. So we move on to that next match, which was uh, Crazy Bloom, the team of Julia and Micah defeating Riho and Hina at 12 minutes exactly with the Sazanka. Again, not Goddess of Stardom Tag League action. Um, aside from Julia finding it difficult to articulate that it was in fact Hina and Riho they were fighting, not Hina and Rina, this was another match that didn't really do anything. Yeah. Like, <laughs> um, there's not a lot to talk about here, is there? It's centred like, very much about around sort of Hina's resilience in the face of having the absolute shit beaten out of her by Micah. But mm-hmm. even that was slightly marred by the fact that Micah tried to get Hina up for some manner of brain buster couldn't get her up the first time, then got her up the second time. But even as she got her up, I was like, she hasn't quite got that. She hasn't quite got And then pretty much dropped Hina on her fucking head. And you could tell, like, the match was only another couple of seconds long, but you could tell it, it had proper rocked Hina. Mm-hmm. Which is... <laughs> yeah, that wasn't great. This match shouldn't have been as long as it had, and... Uh, yeah, as you said, sloppy from both. It's weird that, yeah, it's just a weird match. And beyond it being sloppy, there's nothing to talk about. Like this, again, this is sort of a theme of a lot of the show. Even booking-wise, there's not a ton to talk about on this first show because it it seems at random there was no sort of symmetry between like the pairings with the exception of like the, tag, the um, top three matches because two of them were tag league matches and the other one had B Priestley continuing to be a dick to Momo, so... <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Um, I will say, on a positive note, that Julia and Rio had good chemistry for the limited time they were in ring together, and I'll I'll never not be there for the cool double team float over DDT dropkick combo that Rio does, which she does really crisply and it looks really cool. Um, but yeah, aside from that, it is a nothing undercard match. Um because it's not even like it's a warm-up to the tag league because um, Crazy Blue have already taken on um, Colour Me Pop and Hina's not in it. So, yeah, very strange match, but there we are. I gave it five just because it was it was there. Yeah, again, there's nothing to... It was just another match. It like, was. E- like, even like these last few um, matches um, where like Julia or... Micah or anyone from DDM, we've always always at least be able to like pull out personality moments. There wasn't really any personality moments in this one. No, I think it was in an attempt to put over Micah as a dominant monster, which again, putting her against a pairing like Hina and Riho, both who were quite slender, both who were more suited, especially Riho to the high speed division, and obviously Hina who's still a child. Um putting her against them or the or the people that she's going to dominate, but I don't know. Obviously, Mike is still, in the grand scheme of things, relatively green, and Hina is still green as well, so perhaps not the best partnership. Um, but yeah, wasn't exactly compelling viewing, let's put it that way. Match three then, and this is Goddesses of Stardom Tag League action with the team of Grab the Top, Suri and Himika, defeating Wingori, which is Saya, Ida and Hanan, at 10 minutes and 55 seconds with the running powerbomb. This was another really good Wingori match, who have 
even in the loss of the three matches. So they lost to Momo AZ, they lost to Grab the Top, and they lost to, and they lose uh, come night three to uh, Dream H. They've put on three very, very good matches. Yeah, they they work really well together, especially in like Sire's case is a case of, we know you're not going to win, but like we appreciate the effort. It's a, it's a Homner type um, charisma that either has we sort of like oh you're trying really really hard but it's for nothing <laughs> i thought this drew quite a lot of parallels to their momo az match where you've got the one very cocky complacent member of the team who very nearly loses it for her team by being arrogant complacent not taking saida you know seriously and that person was Himika. Himika throughout this match was very much a case of what the fuck is this? Piss off, basically. I've got better things to do with my time. Don't you know I've got a title shot next week? Um, but ultimately, I, I've enjoyed the pairing of Hannon and Sayurida. You've got Sayurida, who is very much the brawn of the team, very much chop-heavy power moves, whereas you've got Hannon, who in this and especially the Night, um, night 6 match throwing out some really, really good, crisp submission moves. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's all it's all very clean, isn't it? Well, there was a moment in this where Saya rolls through from a torture act face buster into a pinning attempt, and it was just... It looked beautiful, looked really, really good, and I, I did give Saya Reader a bit of shit last podcast after her and Tam's pretty disastrous match at uh, Corican. But I thought here she was brilliant. And again, on night six, she was great as well. I will say I do not envy anyone taking the double team from Saya and Himika, where Himika is on the top rope and Saya sort of just... Th- uh, sorry, Siori just sort of throws her onto the person on the floor. It was. It looked horrendous. I think it was Saya Ida that took it, and it, it just looks horrendous to take. Like, <laughs> really unpleasant. I, I half imagined it to be like a Looney Tunes thing where she's like thirty feet under under the ground, going, <laughs> "Damn it!" <laughs> <laughs> like uh, when Loki's in uh, the Avengers and he's in that big hole after the Hulk smashes him into the ground. That is why I imagined oh, to happen. Actually, actually, I'm thinking like Civil War when Vision sends hot. Sends Hawkeye halfway down um, the Avengers building. <laughs> um, overall, another really, really good um, outing for Hannon and Say. Either Himika and Suri look like badasses. No one's here here. Really, really good match. Really crisp. Really smooth. Best match of the night so far. I gave it seven. I thought really enjoyed this match. Yeah, this was really fun stuff, especially compared to sort of the nothing that came. Um, towards that, I was sort of starting to feel very negative about the show, and then this match sort of kicked off the show actually being worth it. So, I definitely got to skip to this match if you're going to watch the show. Absolutely. Right, match four. Um, we had the Queen's Quest team of Mobile Watanabe and Utami Hayashita defeating Natsukatora and B Priestley of Oedatai at 14 minutes and 19 seconds via DQ. Obviously, obviously, it was going to be fucking <laughs> DQ. Was- I, I was so... I, I was enjoying this. I was really enjoying this match. B. Priestley, um, whilst very derivative of a lot of people, 
is getting better, especially with her timing. Momo and Nitami, always good. And Natsuko Tori is a good bullish type when used sparingly, which she kind of was in this match. And then that fucking chain came out. Natsuko Tori has made me hate anything to do with chains. And as a Fleetwood Mac-loving degenerate, that is a bad thing. Honestly, Chris, you've echoed pretty much all of my notes for this match. Literally, the ending takes this match from a potential eight to a six. And that's being yeah. generous. I mean, be- honestly, it's just... It, it spoiled a belt. B playing that detestable heel. Like, she plays it really, really well. And while the exchanges with Momo were amazing, they emphasise, like you say, just how much she has improved in ring. Even when she held the red belt, I feel like she has improved in ring and will she ever hold the red belt again no i i don't think she will and i don't think sure i think she's a challenge for it i don't think she will ever be the top person in stardom again um but i could absolutely see her hold the white belt and be that dickhead heel that everyone aspires to beat you know we've had quite a few baby faces holding it, a couple of tweeners holding it having b hold it i think would be I certainly wouldn't be opposed to it, Chris. Um, with Priestley, my thing is I'm very open to the idea of her being able to win the belt, but I'm not open to, to the idea of her winning the belt, if that makes sense. Like, I want it to be very plausible that she could win any title challenger, but I don't want her to hold the belt, at least not for another while, like, at least not until, like, middle of next year, if we're being, like, at the very earliest. No, I understand that. I do understand that. Did it surprise you that she does hold a championship already in stardom this soon after coming back? What, the SWA belt? Well, if we were setting up this New Japan thing, then no, because well, it's good. you want to have a championship on New Japan programming and be doing this cross-promotion thing, but you also don't want to lose like one of your actual championships. And the SWA belt is fairly aesthetically pleasing, so... It works for that. Yeah, I mean, I'm just, I'm just happy Oka came down from the mountains. To be honest, <laughs> we missed you, Oka. I never actually asked what you thought of the whole B Priestley thing in New Japan. Do you like it? Do you like? I mean, there's been chats on our Discord. I was reading there was about five billion messages when I went on the other day, and you know there was there was talk of potentially a mixed tag at Wrestle Kingdom on one of the nights. Um, I think I saw Will and B versus uh, Momo and Okada, um, which I certainly wouldn't be opposed to. Um, I'd be interested to see a dynamic of Momo and Okada. Um, And with Okada and Will, you would assume that that is main card worthy, which means that you have some stardom exposure on the main card. However, I know that B Priestley is not to everyone's taste. And I'm fully aware of that. And she was not to my taste on night six. In fact, she fucking wound me up. But <laughs> I can understand the appeal. You know, it's cross-promotion. I don't think it's doing much damage at all, really. I understand if you don't like B, the last thing you want to see is more B Priestley on, on New Japan. But it it's only going to be a good thing for stardom. 
to have that exposure. And having B with Will at the moment, it's pretty much nailed on that we're going to get a stardom match at Wrestle Kingdom, especially with New Japan putting on two nights. I mean, it, I would say if we're looking percentages, I'm, you're looking at 90% certain, surely, Chris. Um, yeah, like, I don't know why you'd have her there if you weren't going to have her involved in some way. Um, honestly, keeping Okada out of, especially after that fucking G1 he had, um, keeping him out of main event pictures, I think is only a good thing. He needs some fucking time to recover. Um, he's very <laughs> clearly breaking down. In terms of, like, would it be happy to see more crossover? I guess. I'm not really watching New Japan right now because... F- I've ranted about this so so much since I saw it. Another Evil Naito match. Are you kidding me? I'm just sort of done with the whole thing, at least until Wrestling Kingdom. But, yeah, I, if I was starting, that wouldn't be my go-to. But, like, I get New Japan probably aren't going to want to have that crossover without them in it somehow. I'm not quite sure how they'd introduce Momo into that situation. Yeah, that's, that's my... I mean, obviously, the feud at the moment is Momo and B. So mm-hmm. that would make sense. However, if you're looking for, you know, um, not a better parallel, you know, you're looking at Okada and Mayu, you know, the two top guys, or top people, I should see, I say, in the company. But They're both aces, but I don't see Mayu. I see Mayu as more of a Tana than a Okada. I see her as like more Momo of a <laughs> I see him more as a fucking maniac. Yeah, just a fucking uh, um, knack. God. Um, yeah, just no regard. But like, we doesn't see Mayu and Abushi is Mayu and the brain. So that's true. <laughs> Actually, sometimes it's questionable. What else would get on? Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I guess it's not the worst way to have crossover. Like, it's probably better than having a title match where you know whoever's in it's gonna win, or like some random tag this way. Like you could actually get the personality of Momo over, and like personalities are probably what's going to draw you to go. Okay, why not check out Stardom if I haven't checked out? But I don't know. I I I can't tell you anything about New Japan's booking because like I've not even finished the G One yet. So yeah, fair enough. Um, sort of coming back to this match, Utami looked great. Um, you know, really building it towards um, towards our Sendai show. Um, deadlifting Tori into a Samoan drop is not fucking easy, and she made it look like it was, so proper props to that. That made me pop. And yeah, like we said, Chris, just the stupid, just so contrived, so tired, so trotted out every single fucking Oida time match. I'm just, I'm I'm done with it, and I tune out, and I have got a little mini rant prepared for night six, so keep your eye out for that um but aside from that <laughs> um, like it was a good in-ring match up until the ending and i think as soon as i mm-hmm. get these endings sorted and actually realize that you can actually end matches still look like heels without the same thing over and over and over again once they realize that especially now they've added b Priestley and konami once jamie hater comes back as well you are going to have a very strong faction that people are going to be into. And I know, you know, they're a heel faction you're not supposed to be into. It. Yeah, but they're not supposed to make me physically want to turn the product off. No, that's the thing. Like, people so often conflate um, actual heat with go-away heat. Like, for example, if someone... Say you're at an indie show and someone goes up to a kid and go and says something stupid, that's fine. If someone goes up to a kid and goes, 
you're adopted, you're probably not going to like him very much. No, no, I, there is a very big difference. And at the moment, Oida Tai don't have heat. They have fucking hell on board heat. And they yeah, need no, to I, sort that. Like, whereas most things in Stardom has, like, won me over, Oida Tai has yet to at all do that. And, like, it's weird because their biggest problem right now is their leader. <laughs> I disagree. I, I do disagree. Tora is great in ring. She displayed that here. Throughout that, we've both said how good this match was because both uh, Momo and B matched up really well, and Natsukatora and Utami matched up really, really well. And even when we had the odd change in that dynamic, it was still really good. And Tora is good in ring. The problem is the finish, the finish to a match. And we seem to have this horrible misconception that to be a heel, we have to finish the match by fucking up our opponents. We don't care about the end of the match. That That's not what this is. You know, I, I compare them to Suzuki-Goon. Suzuki-Goon don't get disqualified every single fucking match. The odd match, fine. But not every fucking match. And it, it's starting to get to a point now where I see them on a card and I don't want to watch the match. And that's not heat for me. That's not, oh, look how good heels they are. That's wank booking. And that needs to change because we the tie are without a shadow of a doubt the worst thing about stardom. Thing is, Kagetsu used to have that energy, but like she'd use it to like actually fuck up her opponents. Yeah, they they hugely, hugely miss Kagetsu and Hazuki. Massively. Mm-hmm. Um Yeah. So... Like they like you can have that energy, but like Kagetsu use that energy to sort of feel like a final boss. Yeah, exactly. You saw Kagetsu as a fucking threat. And Tora, at the moment, you're just like, well, I'm going to get a win here because she's going to get self-DQ'd. But with Tora's case, like, if she did somehow get a title shot, I'd be like, well, she's going to get DQ'd anyway. So, like, the only... Like, Space Warriors were the only really good Tora match recently is for um, one at Yokohama because there was no DQ. Yeah, I mean, we we did say also the match that they had with Momo Izzy. And um, I think it was night four, I think, of... No, night three, sorry, of the Stardom Tag League because mm. Queen's Quest threw the weapons away and Yutami and Sai Kamatani ran away with them, which is which was great. Yeah. That was And it made for a far better match. And we, we spoke volumes about how without these tired tropes, they actually put on... They were forced upon a very, very good match. And here they just went back to everything that I'm bored with. Also, I don't know who put B Priestley so fucking close to the ring microphone, but all I could hear was a voice during this. <laughs> Every single word that B Priestley said, oh my God, shut the fuck up. I mean, there was a there was a hilarious moment when she had the chair and the ref's trying to take the chair off her and she was like, don't touch my things. That, that really made me laugh. I don't know why, well, it just made hilarious. me chuckle. Um, but yeah, I just... To go 14 minutes, to invest 14 minutes of my time into this and to not get a fucking finish, just fuck off, man. Um, what did you think of Priestley's post-match promo? Because I find it really weird that she just throws in random Japanese phrases like in the middle of an English promo. And like it's weird because like, people like Omega used to do that and it didn't bother me, but he, he was do- seemed to be doing it as part of a heel act, whereas B Priestley sort of just comes off as a massive weeb. Like, she reminds me of that one person I knew at school who, like, 
would just drop in the random Japanese phrases they knew. <laughs> like they'd be like, what, "What? What was it?" It's like, um, the, like I showed my niece might have just been born, and I showed them a picture of my niece. And they were like, "Oh, kawaii!" I'm like, "You son of a why?" <laughs> just because you know it's in Japanese doesn't make you better than me. It's like I I I know some. I know so German, I don't say shite when I want to say shite, I just say shite. And then I got chucked out of the classroom because it's school, but you know. <laughs> Damn it, I should have said shite. Um, <laughs> yeah. they, they are relatively entertaining. She does need to come up with something slightly different than you suck or your crap, because she just sounds like someone in year five who hasn't quite learned how to swear yet and just Oh my nieces are at that stage. Exactly. And <laughs> my nieces have started shouting poo you at me and I'm like, what the fuck does that even mean? Exactly. Be precise a step away from doing that. You are poo Momo. Yeah. And I just I just go back to that Julia <laughs> promo where she says you think all the time she spent in Japan she'd learn some other Japanese fucking phrases. Which, you know what? Absolutely <laughs> right, Julia, yeah. You fucking you know would think that. It- it reminds me of um, when Jamie Hayter came out to challenge um, Arisa last year for the white belt. And Arisa's just sort of looking around going, what did she say? <laughs> help me. Somebody help me. <laughs> but, yeah, like, I don't know. Like, I think you should either, like, commit to English in your promo or Japanese because, like, it's definitely implying that no matter what language you're speaking, Momo understands what you're saying. And at the very least, that's not, it's not very hard to... Um, communicate that um what what went like because ba- basically whenever Priestley says the insult momo needs to freak out so you just tell momo what the insult is and then she'll cure it to freak out then like i don't know i think throwing in random japanese just there's no reason for it and it's distract like it's distracting for me as an english speaker i don't i imagine it's also really distracting for the japanese audience but i can't speak to that but like it does mean you need to subtitle her promos too which i find funny <laughs> Just, yeah, a very anticlimactic ending, and then it was topped off with a very anticlimactic promo. Six stars. We've spent far too much time talking about We the Tide because we're going to end up speaking about them again when it comes to night six. You have been I bet you're very happy this is week. You're very happy this is weekly now. God, I think I'm going to give myself a heart attack. Jesus. Um, so, main event then of night five was another tag league match with MK Sisters defeating Dream H at 14 minutes and 49 seconds with the Dragon Suplex. Um, Chris, what do you think yes. of this match? This was good. I'm still questioning some of Shiakawa's and Tam's moves, like the, um, the DDT thing. What is the point of Tam in like the implant DDT bit? Because that's how they land anyway. I think it's more for elevation and therefore it compresses the <laughs> neck more because she does hold them higher than they would be from just a standing position. It's not I... a great deal of difference, I grant you, but I do I can I can look past it. There's there's enough of a change in it for me to just say, Yeah, okay, I can take that. If if Tam was even like May's height, I might buy into that. But thing is I've I've drank out of glasses taller than Tam. <laughs> so, she's not the tallest. She, no, she's not. And apart from that, yeah, Mina continues to be a good babyface in peril, even when went up against other babyfaces. I kind of like that she's trying to prove herself. She's still not the greatest, but she's steadily getting better, which is all you can really ask for. Um, I, I, 
this is apart from that, this was very much like the best hits of both people, sort of almost house show esque, where they're just sort of bringing out what everyone wants to see, and then um, Shiakawa gets put away with a secondary finisher. No one has to. No one of value has to take the pin, and then we didn't have to go through another draw. Which, by the way, spoiler alert, we managed to get through two host Adam shows without a draw. Oh, I'm I'm amazed. I'm absolutely I amazed. What is the last time that happened? <laughs> Literally, when's the last time we had a Adam podcast where we didn't talk about a fucking draw? Let's not talk about it just in case we fucking jinx it. Um, oh, we will jinx it, won't we? I enjoyed this match. I really enjoyed this match, actually. Obviously, this is all centred about... It was, how did Mayu and Starlight put it? An assessment match for Mina Shirakawa Mm. to be a part of Stars. And I really enjoyed how, basically, her initiation was to see how long she could resist Mayu grinding her down into the mat, literally just trying to... Like, she adopted a completely different submission game. There was very little striking to start off with. It was all guillotines, um, locks, um, Boston crabs, things like that. Basically trying to grind her down, almost torturing Mina. And they wanted to see if Mina had the resilience, the fire to make her a part of Stars. And I really enjoyed that because even Starlight Kid was getting in on the action as well. And you're absolutely right, Chris. We've spoken about this on previous podcasts about how Mina, her best position is as that babyface in power because she plays it so well. She she does play a baby... She is a very, very good babyface. She really is. And I completely agree with you. Her offense is still a bit iffy. However, it is getting better. And noticeably better as well. I think she has a good chemistry with Tam. Um, I don't, I don't like this whole boob thing. I think it's weird. I don't like it, and hopefully it fucks off after tag league because it doesn't seem to add anything. I completely understand it's Shirakawa's gimmick, which you know, fine. But hopefully we get to a point where your gimmick is not just your boobs and people touch my boobs because I don't want that in my wrestling. We should be... She should be over. By the end of this tag league, she should be over for a different reason than look at my boobs. Does that make sense? I don't want to see it. I don't want to see it in my wrestling. I think it's cheesy. I think it's corny. I don't think we need it at all. It does nothing for Tam either. I don't know. It got got me this far in life. Um... What, what, being cheesy and corny? (laughs) (laughs) Definitely not being corny. Um, yeah, no, I do agree. I like honestly, half the time I don't notice it, but then like when you point me out, point it out, it's like, oh yeah, that did happen. I mean, they made it really, really fucking obvious. I, th- I can't remember oh, when it was. Oh, it was during when um, it was night six when Tam's making that announcement, and she's just probably like punching them. It's like, leave the fucking girl. And Mina, bless her. She actually looks a little bit uncomfortable. I mean, wouldn't you if someone was, like, punching your tits? Yes, I would. Leave my boobs alone. <laughs> They're mine. I'm going to try and... I'm going to try and make it for our next um, raffle trip to have Gaff do it, but like you not remember. <laughs> so it's just, I'm like, Gaff, are you doing it? I'm like, ah, yes. Mastermind right here. <laughs> Um, I enjoyed the fact that Mayu had to escalate her offense progressively to finally put um, Mina away, and she escalated it, but didn't quite escalate it to the point of needing to use the two-step dragon or the dragon sleeper. Um, Mm. She still had to escalate through a couple 
of moves before she got to one that finally put Mina away. Um, but that resilience paid off. Mayu inducted her into Stars, so Mina is an official member of Stars. If she keeps putting in performances like this, where she is resilient, where she does show that fire, that passion, that I will not quit attitude, then she's going to get over. She's going to get over no yeah. matter what. So she did. She like I want, but this that can last for like that can last a few months. But at some point, you do need to level up, otherwise, you get like a Johnny Gargano situation. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I imagine like I think she's got two years ring experience. From what people have told me about Mina, she wasn't given a great deal of op- of singles opportunity against your top talent in Tokyo Joshi Pro. So if she's in the ring with top-level talent, people like Mayu, people like Tam, you know, she is going to get better. She is going to learn and progressively make her way up that card and learn different things to do within ring psychology and learn to wrestle different matches. So that that I'm not massively concerned about. That will come with time. If she's good enough to have been hired by stardom, she will have it in her to progress. I, I don't have an issue with that. And we've seen it a little bit already. I mean, there was a match where me and you thought she was the absolute fucking drizzling shits towards the start. Um, and I, it must have been night one of Tag League or something. And she was pretty ordinary to put it mildly however you know the last couple of matches where she was facing Mayu and Starlight here and then when she was facing Himika and Suri and I believe Natsupoy in a six woman I found myself really really getting behind her so you know that's an improvement I I didn't mean um I, I I didn't mean in terms of like improving just in ring a moment and just like in terms of like what she already had just her offense. I sometimes feel like she does need like a change of move set because that back fist. I'm sorry, like you, it's just not gonna get better. I think. Yeah. Well, again, I'm sure that she will progress. She'll add more offensive moves because I I completely agree with you. The Luthers press has become better. She's actually managed to get mm-hmm. the surfboard in the last couple of times that she's done it. Um. So, so just drop the back fist and you fight. Drop the back fist. Drop the weird sort of, sort of not cross body where she just sort of taps you on the chest and you fall down because that's also a bit shit. Um, the running shove. Yeah, the running shove. <laughs> yeah, the running blow past. Um, it's it's shit. So get rid of it. But overall, a really really good outing for Mina. We didn't need to see a lot of offense, a lot of high-impact offense from the others. I did think that the the new sort of style from Mayu, the submission style, was good to see. And then again, like I say, the escalation of offense was really good and did mean her a load of favors. So, again, I, I gave it a high seven. Didn't quite reach eight for me, but it was a good, solid outing, especially for Mina. Yeah, I'm feeling like a lowish mid-seven, so yeah. yeah. So let's move on then, because we've got lots to talk about. So we're going to move on to night six, which is from Corrigan Hall in front of 472 people from the 29th of October. Now, before we get into anything, Chris, I just wanted to ask you, when the card for this night got announced, did did you get excited about it? And did it strike you as... Not necessarily a world-beating card. And I know we spoke about this a little bit last podcast. But did it 
did it grab you and you think, fucking hell, I'm looking forward to this, 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 and this? Or did you sort of think, this seems like a average card? Um, I, I wasn't terribly excited for it, but mostly because Julia versus Himika didn't do anything for me in the five star. Um, it didn't strike me as a world beater, but like, I think the last time a Corican struck me as a world beater was back in January with ninth anniversary, which is still my start, I'm sure, of the year. But yeah, apart from that, no, not really. Didn't strike me as amazing. But like, also, I think I said this last week, Corican shows aren't really the Corican shows anymore in terms of like where they're trying to draw because yeah. they need to run these bigger shows due to like the current circumstances. So I think that's literally just it because we had what two or three. Corican shows afterwards, and that includes like no people getting Cinderella. So we didn't have we haven't we didn't have that many normal Corricans this year to begin with. So no, and you know if we if we're going to look at attendances, and again you should take attendance at the moment with a shovel full of sands, no matter pinch, because obviously with COVID restrictions and things in place. But I saw when this card was announced a lot of negativity about the card and. You know, a lot of the negativity was leveled at the main event, Julia and Himika, and the fact that there was only two um, title matches and one of them was the future of Stardom title match. And, you know, that sort of brought about the conversation that we talked about last week about whether Corican shows are really Corican shows anymore, where Stardom's going, and sort of the attendances. And I, I just wanted to draw your attention to the attendances. So the attendance for the show was 472 people. Um to put that in some sort of comparison, the five-star show from the 9th of August drew 402. The Corican show from the 28th of September drew 407 people. Now, this is considerably more people. Um, I mean, it's not Stardom five-star Grand Prix final, which drew 677. And then the night, which had Mayu versus Takumi, drew 586. So this is a very middling attendance but to level that solely at julia and himika's drawing power i think is extremely unfair um yes i don't think this is the strongest corican card i don't think it's the weakest we've seen we've seen quite a few weak corican cards that one that you mentioned the 28th of the ninth show wasn't exactly strong either but i don't think it's fair to level the criticism at the drawing power of that main event. I think that main event is fine. I think it's a good match. I think only having two title matches is perhaps a little bit weak, especially when you consider it's the future of stardom and Micah and Sayo Kamatani are certainly not at the point in their careers when they can be considered draws. So I can sort of see it from there, but as proved by the drawing numbers, it didn't impact too heavily. I don't think people see it as a negative card. Yeah, I think what also didn't help it was there's a lot of random tags on here. Like, there wasn't a ton of for, um, for the tag league. There's only one tag league match. Like So, aside from the two title matches and that, the rest of them were kind of just filler. Yeah, the semi-main um, Starlight Mayu versus Natsupo in Suri, that was to set up their, the MK Sisters versus Grab the Top match, which took place today as we record on the 3rd of November. So that sort of makes sense. Also was a banging match, spoiler. Um, but yeah, in terms of other matches, it was a bit meh. Okay. So let's start anyway. Match one was a five-way, and we opened up with Rina defeating Ruaka, 
Gokiken Death, Saki Kashima, and Hina with a roll-up at 5 minutes and 19 seconds. Now, <laughs> very quickly, are you, are you ready for Chris's conspiracy wall? I'm always ready for a Chris conspiracy theory. Always. Well, okay, so... By process of... If we're going to decide who's the best inside, then we do need to look at wins and losses. Now, Death has beaten both Julia and May, which means they are now below Death. But Death was just beaten by Rena, meaning Rena is now best in stardom. I mean, your booking doesn't make sense and you should feel bad about it, but... Um... <laughs> <laughs> Rina for okay, okay. Also, um, I I just need to get this part of the match like out of, out of me. So like at some point, one of the children were in the middle, because because most of this match were children and the clown was playing with children. It was Hina, and then, I know like, which bit you're going to talk about. And then like, death held hands with the other two children. Saki was I don't know in clown hell, and then we did ring a ring a rosy around that and it's at that point i realized i fucking hate wrestling <laughs> yeah it was very horror film wasn't it it was um i can't remember exactly what it's called there's a swedish sort of festival film where they go to a festival and it turns out to be this massive cult and it's it sort of struck me as that that uh yeah quite nightmarish as i said earlier um but aside from that it, re- it reminded me of a tiktok god i fucking hate tiktok it was like you it, someone was like doing just like sitting in front of a camera and then suddenly changing it back into the um costume and then over it was this random song where it just goes boo bitch i'm a ghost and it's great i think if you'd have put this on tiktok and then just had the din 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 but really slow i think that would have legitimately made a great horror trailer i think we should like grain it like it was filmed in an old camera and then put like lo-fi beats to study to over it. (laughs) (laughs) If someone could do that, that'd be fucking great. Um, Yeah, aside from this being Ruwaka's first match back since the 8th of March in No People Gate, uh, it was completely spoilt for her by Rina turning and joining Awida Tai. Um, I like having the spotlight on Rina. Um, you are running a risk of stars becoming hugely overbloated, especially with what's announced in the next match. So getting rid of some of the people from stars makes complete sense. As far as the children go, Rena is by far the most charismatic. So to put more of a spotlight on her makes complete sense. Um, the turn was pretty poorly executed. I'm not going to lie. Um, it kind of just yeah (laughs) there was no real lead up to it whatsoever so yeah in that regard it was pretty poorly uh executed but i like like bitch i'm here (laughs) bitch i'm here now bye (laughs) um yeah but aside from aside from that rena is now part of a weeder tie um and yeah aligned herself with saki kashima and you saw the rest of stars at ringside do absolutely nothing to stop her leave and then just look either really confused in the eyes of Mayu, or absolutely devastated in the eyes of Gokik and Death. A real range of emotion by the people at Stars at Ringside. Um, are you a fan of Rena in Oedetai, Chris? 
Um, yeah, she's probably just doing it so that, like, oh, well, I have, like, an actual fall person. Because, mm. like, as it stands, because like, as it stands, everyone's in some form of push. Or, yeah. you know, a Saki, who they never really seem to want to pin. <laughs> yeah, I think if Natsu Samir wasn't injured, she's pretty much that fall person. But obviously they don't have that at the moment. I do I I understand from that point of view. I think it's nice to have the spotlight on her though, because like I say, something that she has that Hina doesn't is that charisma. And something that Rena has that Hannon doesn't have is that charisma, even if I do think that Hannon is better in ring. Mm-hmm. Let's move on then. Let's move on to Tag League action. Again, the only Tag League match on this show, which saw Dream H defeat Wingori in 11 minutes, 48 seconds with a violet shooting. Uh, first things first, absolutely amazing name for the finisher. Second thing, another secondary finisher used to finish off an opponent, and it won't be the last on this card. Secondly, and I feel like I'm repeating myself, or thirdly, should I say, cause one, two, three, that's how numbers work. Um, another outstanding outing for Wingori, who are quite quickly becoming the MVPs of this tag league. Yeah, but about to be fair, we've had the most matches of anyone in the tag league, I think. No, uh, Momo AZ have had four matches. Um, and then MK uh, Sisters, Wingori and Aphrodite are all at three. And Dream Age. Ah. Uh, okay, so I'm just stupid. Um... <laughs> They're one of the most highly sort of... Um, highly featured, let's put it that way. Yeah, I've noticed them the most. And they've been good. I think it's they're mostly just great compared to expectations. And again, Saida sort of brings a homnet energy. And not in the sense of she's trying to murder herself. She's actually very safe. But <laughs> beyond that, um, Hannon's getting a lot better. Like, she's still iffy in places. But again, for a 16-year-old, she's doing great. Her opening salvo with Tam was brilliant. Her working the mm-hmm. leg was really, really good. And it was coupled with the fact that Tam actually sold it really, really well. Um, Whatever hoodoo or cocaine, as we discussed last time, which had been going on between (laughs) Sire and Tam during the last Corican match, was completely gone here. They had really good chemistry. Everything went fine. Um, Shirakawa obviously is now a part of Stars, but now needs to prove that she needs to belong in Stars. So what better way to prove that than being the hot tag? Um, and in a match like this, I'm perfectly fine with Mina being the hot tag. Um, however, ultimately, it's Tam that gets the finish uh, by completely finisher spamming until Hannon stays the fuck down. Um, but even that was put over. It's similar to the Dream Age vs. MK Sisters match the previous night. Even that was put over by how Tam was reacting by Hannon kicking out of everything. Um, you know, that real resilience. It was It was treated with real incredulity from Tam um, which is great I mean some of the reversals from Hannon were really really good and you know again she's 16 she's going to be very very good when she's older so I'm I'm over the moon for this I enjoyed the fact that um, Tam won the match with something other than the Tiger Suplex um, yeah Overall, another really, really, really good showing. Um, post-match, Tam says that at the next Corican show, we'll be seeing a new member of Stars in the form of the mysterious ZZ. Um, 
<laughs> yeah, no idea who the fuck this is going to be. I'm sure there are people that do know who it is, but I'm unfortunately not one of them. Uh, but yeah, we'll look to see. So we've just got rid of someone out of stars, and we're going to put someone else in there. <laughs> I just like to imagine, it's like, quick, quick, who do you have on WhatsApp? <laughs> someone someone text someone we cannot be without a million fucking members <laughs> quick we've got zzz, put zzz in um it's like when um danny ricardo left Renault and f1 is like quick who knows fernando alonso <laughs> who's got fernando's number um yeah so this match right match three i'm gonna rant um six woman tag queen's quest momo watanabe um, Yutami Hayashita and Riho defeat Awida Tai, B Priestley, Konami and Tora by DQ in 9 minutes and 35 seconds. I just don't give a shit anymore, Chris. I've got... All I'm doing, <laughs> whoever is facing Awida Tai, I've got no emotional investment or sense of attachment to anything that they do whatsoever in this match because or in any of their matches because all I'm doing is I'm waiting for the inevitable DQ I can't get invested in how good an exchange is between Momo and B or between Utami and Tora or between Konami and um, Utami because I just can't because I'm waiting for the bullshit I'm waiting for the DQ and we're now programmed to just assume this is going to happen and aside from that this wasn't great in ring there was an absolutely fucking horrific botch from a Yurinagi from B and Momo had some sort of timing issue um B I don't she really really wound me up in this match because she made the and this might just be me I might be speaking completely out of line and everybody else might just think I'm being ridiculous and I'm seeing things that aren't there but in this match it seemed to be the B Priestley show everything seemed to be about her, her talking, her doing the moves, her on the outside stamping on people. She no-sold the peach fucking sunrise, which pissed me off. Momo hits the peach sunrise, goes for the three count, just as the ref's about to go for three, Tora pulls the referee out, B is straight up and hits a B trigger. Like, literally, the second the referee is out of the ring. No selling whatsoever. And then we get the fucking chain spot. Again, a hanging spot. Again. And the only fucking redeeming feature of this match is the fact that B Priestley, after hitting the Queen's Landing, the referee randomly decides, oh, now I'm going to DQ you this time. Okay, cool. It's just, it's utter bullshit. And I, I hate it. I absolutely hate it. And like I said to you before, I just, I don't want to watch the Oida time matches. I don't find them entertaining. I don't find them fun. I've got no sense of attachment to it. I don't care about their storylines. I don't care about anything they've got going forward. Um, in fact, the only reason I want to watch her match with Suri is because I want to watch Suri paste her all around the ring. And I get that that is good heel heat, but I sort of want it to happen in real life. So... I'm just, I'm so bored of every match being the same. And again, I think it's the fact that I can't watch it and enjoy it because I'm just waiting for, I'm waiting for the ref bump, I'm waiting for the DQ. I mean, even Evil in the fucking G1, and he had a god-awful G1, and I will stand toe-to-toe with anyone that said he didn't. Even he had slightly different variations of his finish. These are all the fucking same. Every single 
fucking time. And no matter how good you are in the ring, we've spoken about how B Priestley's improved in the ring. Konami is fantastic. Tora, she's good in the ring when she's not using that fucking chain. But you can only polish a turd so much because it will still be a turd. You can put as many good wrestlers in a ring as you want. If the booking is wank, the match will be wank. You've got Momo, Utami, Konami, who are three of the best workers in this company, and it was a match I couldn't give two shits about. It could have been for the fucking title, and I would not have given a fuck. And I I do not understand how you can have Tora go for any title and give a shit about it. I honestly can't. At least B and Konami finish matches that we know of. I'm just, I'm bored of it. I'm sick of it. <laughs> I am fucking done with a weed tie. Really am done. And to f- the fact that this is on a Corican as well. Why the fuck was this on a Corican? Why? What did we get from this? Because B's next match isn't even with fucking Queen's Quest. It's against Suri from Donna Del Mondo. And I'm perfectly aware that Suri was in the semi-main. Fine. But this just... This was dog shit. It was awful. It was the shits. I hate it, Chris. I liked the... Um, as we know... Um, that we know of. Like, we haven't <laughs> watched every certain show this year for this podcast. Um, yeah. I, I kind of just agree. They really put B over strong here, didn't they? Because, like, she got a visual pinfall on Momo. And, like, from a booking sense, since they cheated to win anyway, that wouldn't have been, like, a bad thing for Momo. It would just give her motivation to want to chase after B. But instead, DQ. And, like, and then is on the mic going, how many times do we have to beat you down? It's like, well, you haven't won any of these beatdowns. Like, you haven't won. You've just, you know, beat them down. So fucking what? You, that doesn't get you, like, a winner's purse or anything. What's your motivation here? I'm just done with it. I'm not giving any more time to it. It, it wound me up. <laughs> everything about this match wound me up. And everything about their booking wound me up. So let's move on. Match four, Future of Stardom Championship. The champion, Micah, defeating the challenger, Saya Kamatani, at 11 minutes and 19 seconds with the anchor, Toshi. I'm not going to lie, Chris. I had quite low expectations for this match. No disrespect to either of the women in this match. And honestly, they surpassed my expectations. I really enjoyed this match. Yeah, this was fun. I think what helped was the hot start. Like, this got into a very quick start where Saya hit her like a RVD um, moonsault off the apron. Um, hit her knee off of Mikey's head. That was scary. Well, there was a lot of chat that Saya hurt herself during the moonsault and sort of that impacted the rest of the match. And honestly, I, I if that was the case, I couldn't tell at all. I thought she was very, very good in this match. Yeah, she... Was she was? Um, it'd be the only time she ever sold the knee, like, but you know, um, she did miss the um, her shooting star, and uh, but also what I did like that sort of made up for that was just teasing the um, Phoenix Splash did a lot, like, you know, when 
that's why secondary finishes are a good thing because you get to the point where if you just tease them, you're like, oh my god, they're gonna go for it. So that was a nice little bit of booking. Um, Micah's power moves looked a bit better against a bigger opponent, so like that's a step in the right direction. Happy with that. Just nice little progression in this match. It's not going to blow you away. I'm not going to lie. It's not the best match you're ever going to see. It's probably not even the best match over these two shows. But I still enjoyed it. It was quite fun. It's another mark in Saya Kamatani's book of being just the progress that she's made since the start of the year in ring. I mean, you know, she still did the car wheel having just sat in the fucking camel clutch for god knows how long having Micah just worked her back but that aside you know she's constantly presenting new moves the phoenix splash the moonsault off the apron you know the um kiwi crusher that she broke out um on the last podcast episode she's constantly adapting constantly improving and that's that's brilliant that's what i want to see from her because honestly at the moment she is my stardom most improved wrestler and i'd be amazed if she doesn't win that come the end of the year awards um micah again like you said being the power person (laughs) in a match being the competitor who is the most physically dominant you need to have someone who's willing to bump circles around you and saya did i mean she proper did the will osprey turn yourself inside out off the lariat she really really made michael look like a powerhouse here proper let her beeler all the way across the ring really really good i enjoyed that hot start like you mentioned that moonsault made me go yes that looks fucking great well done she looks a bit nervous bless her as she went for the ropes but i think i would be as well (laughs) i'm gonna do this for the first time i am very very close to the barrier um but overall a really really good match these two had really good chemistry it was far better than i thought it was going to be i gave it seven stars i thought it was a good solid defense for micah um and then the second person Mike beat for the belt, Saeeda, came out to challenge next. So, first of all, Chris, what did you give this? Second, um, are you looking forward to the Saeeda Micah rematch? Third, does Micah win that? And fourth, if she doesn't, who challenges next? Because we are rapidly running out of competitors. Um, okay, so I'll start with the match. I, f- I also give it a 7. It's past my expectations, I think, but that's mostly because the triple threat for the title is a bit of a clusterfuck. Yeah, a little bit, so, definitely. So that sort of tricked my brain into thinking, oh, this isn't a great pairing, when in reality it is a good pairing. It's just they weren't put in a position to be good last time. And here, in terms of like the Sire thing, Sire is literally the only other person unless you're going to have the children. Because I think the... Um, rookie Sad and title. It's like um, it. It's people under eighteen or with less than two years' experience, I believe. Off the top of my head, I might be wrong. Um, so yeah, unless we start like bringing the children in, there's not really many people who are going to do it. Like, but like at the end of the day, like that belt is a prop more than most belts are. Like, I think it's literally just fair to sort of solidify who they care about. Like, they had it on Utami, and, like, she basically never defended the fucking thing. So, I really don't care if the future of Stardom Championship isn't defended again until um, Micah loses. <laughs> yeah, because even looking at someone like Mina Shirakawa, she made a debut in August 2018. So, even if she were to win it, she can only have it until 
August 2021. So, I think that's the issue of like age or experience sensitive belts is that you're not going to have a very deep division. Whereas like um, someone like the SWA belt as a mid card belt, yeah, when it's on a native work, if it's not really that, unless um, in a normal year, it's basically restricted to a um, revolving door of um, foreign workers, but when it's on someone like B, so you can just feud with anyone over it. So, yeah, I think, like, honestly, you've started, like, the most, like, the reason we have it is because having a title match on, like, a marquee is better than not having a title match, but really, I've never seen a future start in a match and went, Yes, yes, please. I don't so. even think it's that. I don't even, you know, I don't expect this to blow you. I mean, Micah versus Saya Kamatani is a bit of a, a bit of an anomaly, really. You know, as is Micah versus Saya Reader, I suppose, where you've actually got quite experienced competitors, even though they only have two years ring experience. Um, they are very good workers. Whereas, you know, looking down. The Rosty, you've got Rina, Hina, Ruaka, Hannon. You know, I don't think they're ready for titles. I don't think they're ready to hold. I mean, you you could potentially maybe put it on Rina, having just had her turn. I mean, we don't know what the status of this Lady C is. You know, it's a professional debut, apparently, against Saeeda. So, you know, I'm not expecting wonders from her um this is chris guys it could be chris cyborg we haven't ruled i can promise you it is not chris cyborg <laughs> i believe cyborg. it's mayu's rookie that should have debuted before um yeah but imagine if it is chris <laughs> just strolling in oh shit um it's like okay an actual okay okay <laughs> um i mean we don't know who this zz is either which is something but Easy top. Yeah, it's Billy Gibbons. That's exactly who it is. <laughs> Just comes out to uh, um, Sharp Dressed Man. Oh, that would be incredible. Yeah. And he's just looking like going, hang on, there's several things wrong with this. <laughs> um, do you think Sayurida beats it for the title? No, because they're building Sayurida as, an under- as like a plucky underdog seeking that big victory. That storyline hasn't been going on long enough for a win to be massive. And then you kind of have the sake of you want Micah to look as cool as possible. And at some point, she's going to lose that six person belt. So having that um, future stardom championship just helps solidify, especially to like newcomers, this is someone to look out for. Yeah, fair enough. Match five then, Suri and Natsupoi defeated Starlight Kid and Mayu Iwatani at 13 minutes and 20 seconds with Blue Dragon. Chris, this was a cracking match. Yeah, this is great. Bombs flying everywhere. And so when, when, like, when Shiri throws a bomb, it's a fucking new. I'm completely here. Um, Tapoi continues to... Imp unfortunately ran out of greatest showman jokes that I can naturally put into a review. And like I know that makes Rob very happy, but quite frankly, I think it's the end of an era. <laughs> and I don't quite know how to do like you know how like when you have like a massive um project like in any part of life, be it like school work, whatever, and then you finally finish it and you're like, damn, what do I do now? I do, but also it's, it's- the last show, the the greatest showman, and I also don't give a shit. So you know there is that, I suppose. 
but the greatest showman is so good. Give me your damn thoughts on the match. Um, it was good. Again, um, Siri and Mayu have a chemistry that I'm always going to be here for. Um, the high speed sections between Natsupoi and Starlight were fucking class. Um, the like the bit, especially when we both first came to the ring, the lucha bullshit. I, lo- I love it. I love that lucha bullshit. Um, just solidifies for me that this is the greatest show. <laughs> um, <laughs> I can hear you hating me on the other side of Britain. Um, but yeah, then Mayu and Shuri get in and it's great. And then someone actually takes a pin and they don't cop out of the fucking draw. I'm, I'm just overall happy. But this match was just very, very good. <laughs> I enjoyed the fact, like I said before, that Suri wrestled two different matches. She wrestled a high-impact sort of strike and suplex-based match with Mayu. Jesus Christ, that released German was unreal. Um, but then she wrestled a very quick fire match with Starlight, you know, and made Starlight look very good. In fact, it's one of the matches that I didn't necessarily knew I wanted. And I'm sure that we mentioned many, many podcasts ago, I think when we talked about Stardom is again, and we spoke about how much Starlight and Suri worked well together and how much we'd want to see that match. And this solidified that because honestly, their exchange was absolutely fantastic. I love that the Keychan bomb is becoming the new Kokeshi in the fact that she never seems to hit it without being slogged the fuck off. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's just going to get to yeah, a fact when we're like, Keychan Bomb makes her happy. It's um, That's just never... But like that's, I think I've seen that move hit a handful of times the whole time I've been watching Stardom. She always just slips off. <laughs> also, I'm quite impressed that that's our second Homma reference um, on this podcast. Well... <laughs> He is secretly amazing. He, he was. He certainly was. Um, I loved that closing sequence and then Suri just literally stopping her dead with that buzzsaw kick. And that blue dragon, that looked fucking brutal. Yeah, it wasn't a good time to have a body. Certainly wasn't a good time to be Starlight Kid, was it? No, definitely not. Um, yeah, overall... Thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed this match. Makes me really, really want to see the Grab the Top versus MK Sisters match from um, today's show, Night 7. Um, I can't wait to watch that. But overall, I I proper fanboyed over this match. I gave it eight. Yeah, I, I'm feeling an eight on this one too. It's definitely the best match of both shows yeah. for me. Right. I have a feeling we're going to disagree on this match. Match six, white belt, Julia, the champion, defeats Himika at 19 minutes and 47 seconds with the glorious driver two. Chris, opinion. That's right, I just, I'm, I'm wearing my hoodie and I think I got some pot noodle shit on it earlier because it smells funny. I'm going to have to throw that in the wash. Anyway, um, this match was good. It was much better than the five-star match, which I wasn't at all a fan of because um, this actually had more to it. I liked how like Himika sort of de- became more cocky throughout their last match, whereas here she just sort of came in cocky, like going right after Julia. It's like, I don't fucking care if, I'm your le- if you're my leader, get in your fucking place. Um, I like Julia getting more aggressive as she went on because she's she sort of got 
outclassed at the start and then she sort of had to fight away from the bottom, which isn't something we normally need to see with Julia. Um, the Stealth Viper from the top rope, that was kind of cool. Um, it, some mis- not miscommunication, but like it, she found it hard to get Himika up a point, which makes sense, but like that glorious driver was pretty glorious. But overall, I enjoyed this a lot more. I, it's an enjoyable match. It's a good, really, really good match. But at the end of the day, this pairing was never going to create fireworks for me, and it didn't quite create like fireworks. But it, you know, it had a bonfire. But and that's more than like no, that's more than like no fire. So there was lots of things for me to like about this match. I mean, I liked their five star match, but I agree. I think this was better. Um, I enjoyed the first visual of Julia having to walk past Tam to get to her new opponent, as though she was walking past her previous feud to this brand new feud. I quite enjoyed that little subtle visual. Um, yeah, Himika starting the strongest, because obviously she won at the five-star. She knows she can beat Julia. She's in the ascendancy. Love that. And then it becomes about asserting dominance. You know, who is the alpha female of this stable? Um, Julia becoming increasingly desperate because of Himika's power. Um, I enjoy the fact that Julia basically got from being overpowered by Himika to like slowly but surely beating her down like grinding her down she tries the glorious driver three or four times can't get her up but eventually she's grounded down that much with some fucking hard strikes between the pair that striking exchange is great really really good and it felt organic it didn't feel forced which you know Julia's done those exchanges before in this year and it's felt very, oh, we're at this spot, are we? Whereas here, it felt naturally organic. She was desperate. They were both tired, and it was a case of, I need to finish this match. I need to grind this woman down, because that is the only way I'm going to beat her. I'm going to beat her with this move. And I really, really enjoyed it. I enjoyed how panicky she was every time Himika kicked out, because Himika had the ability to beat her, and she knows that, and not many people have beaten Julia. Um, The only thing for me that sort of stopped it being that fire match was it didn't quite have that closing stretch. Like, mm. the the reason that I love Japanese wrestling is I'm a big closing stretch mark, and that's why I love Jay White so much, because, you know, you look at his match with Okada at Wrestle Kingdom, one of the things I loved in that match was just how good the reversals and that entire closing stretch was. It gets you invested in a match, whereas here I just felt like Julia eventually got Himika up and dropped her with the the glorious driver. Now, I understand that as part of the story, Julia is exhausted, as is Himika. You know, Himika's taken an absolute punishment, as has Julia. So they're not able, potentially, to do this closing stretch. I just felt like it just needed something else to just bump it to being that amazing main event. I mean, ultimately, this is a great match. But the Too Long Don't Read version is, it's a great match that wasn't quite a match of the year. It was a really good match, yeah. It doesn't quite make my match of the year, Fred, but to be honest, at that point, at this point, that Fred's like 200-something matches long. No, I enjoyed the violence of it. I enjoyed how hard-hitting it was. I enjoyed the different parts to it. And overall, I thought it was a really strong 8 out of 10. Yeah, I, I gave it a 7, but yeah, still a really good match. Yeah, and again... 
I do agree it beat their five-star match. I lo- There was such a... Once Julia sort of calls out Konami, because believe it or not, that's not the thing to come out of this um, this promo post-match. She calls out Konami, Konami accepts, so that's her next challenger, um, which, oh my God, yes. That's the third or fourth time since they came back, I think. Do you know what? Back. I don't care, though. I'm fully here for that match. <laughs> fully here for that match. Um, I'm, I'm trying to remember what... But so we had one in five star. We had one in the. Um, oh no, it's only two. One in the five star and that one in the white belt. So this tournament. will be the third, yeah. Which again, yeah, nobody so. is complaining about. Everyone is excited for that match. So I'm fully on board for that. Once Konami's gone, Julia then cuts. Something for you, Chris, which I know that was a big thing for you with Julia when she first debuted was she wasn't able to, or she struggled to connect with the audience with her post-match promos. And they seem to be quite forced. They seem to be quite by the numbers. They seem to, effectively, they seem to be quite scripted. Here, she cuts the most heartfelt promo about how times have changed for her for the better over this year and it was amazing it was it was heartfelt it was honest it was filled with emotion and because of that she connected with the audience which is another way that she has massively improved as this year has gone on because like you said before yeah. there was those opening promos and she would say something and there would be no reaction from the audience and it would be quite uncomfortably awkward oh. And what was even worse that she tried to like break the awkwardness and it would make it more awkward. Exactly. But like Cinderella promo died a death. Um, her introduction of DDM died a death. But then like yeah, here yeah, she actually cut a promo for like what's more feeling, and yeah, just it was a good promo. It's like well done, Kate. You've been in the game five years and you cut a halfway decent promo. John Cena quote whatever. Um. <laughs> I will say, I don't know if you've seen on Twitter, Julie did a um, a big interview and she spoke about her time, especially her early time in stardom and before that. And she talked about a lot of the hate she got. And in the wake of what happened to Hannah and everything, it really hit home. Like just how much these women have got. To, and she talks about how she used to have fans and then, you know, loads of fans turned their back on her and she was getting all sorts of horrible abuse. And, you know, there was a time when she'd turn up to autograph signings and there'd be three people there for her. And, you know, it'd be those three people that really supported her and carried her through to the point where she is now. And it was beautiful to see someone come out of the end of that because it can be horrible. And reading what she'd written was was really quite brutal and what she's been through is really quite brutal again in the wake of what's happened with online bullying and people thinking they're clever on the internet when in fact they're nothing but self-righteous keyboard cunts no that's the thing because one thing i can see from us saying this is that well you critique people at the end of the day we make jokes but we're here to critique someone's work and like even though i didn't like do it with that we've um, noted where she's got better. What happens a lot 
to wrestlers and especially women wrestlers for both a positive and negative they get properly dehumanized and you see it all the time like people ever see them as something to be hated like you see the amount of abuse someone gets to be remotely speak out or um there's something to be like idealized like there's some like just proper weirdos who like fixate on one wrestler and that's their whole life like i saw like a, a thread with someone going my life started x amount of years ago and that's when like i think it was my gift the guy used and just in both ways the women and like stardom's part of um gets it especially because of the idol culture in japan um they just get completely dehumanized and like just expect to sort of be like perfect husks and when that doesn't happen people lash out and it's gross i do understand that well no i don't i think it's ridiculous but you and i know i know what you mean whereas from a different standpoint from potentially fans that are not japanese You've got people who just seem to think that, and we—I'm not going to spend ages on this. We've we've talked about it before. People seem to use Twitter as a vehicle because it's a faceless game. You know, you haven't got to face your accuser. You haven't got to face um, the people that you are abusing, the people you are saying these things to. And effectively, it's a tweet. It's 140 characters or 240 as it is now, and you can just send it. And you haven't got to think about it again. And people don't understand the lasting damage that things that things like that do. I mean, someone who said these horrible things to Julia, they probably don't even know Julia is referring to them. You know, it, it's water off a duck's back, whereas things do stay with people. And we have seen firsthand, as stardom fans and as wrestling fans, as fucking humans, we have seen the damage that shit like this can do. And it annoys me to... A ridiculous degree that people still do this, that people still think it is okay to abuse people online, to say ridiculous things online, to say, you know, they wish people were dead. Why would you say that? Why would you say that about anyone? That's a ridiculous thing to say, but they just, oh, it's only banter, it's only on Twitter. Who the fuck cares? If you say stuff like that, you are a terrible person. Stop it. What always um, gets mad to me is when people like just randomly put their at in the middle of the insult, like the person's at. So it's almost like they're whispering behind their back while making sure they're in earshot. Just ridiculous. And yeah, there's a, re- there's a reason I let you handle the Twitter side of things. Yeah. Um, there are times, mate. There are times. Um, but more power to Julia. And to be perfectly honest, it makes me respect her more, even more as a person. The fact that she's handled this with let's face it, decorum, grace, and... Yeah, this is the first part yeah, of it. absolutely fantastic. And again, we've not always been Julia fans. I'm not going to come out and say I'm Julia's biggest fan. I'm yeah, not. But we, we, we would never we, abuse her as a person, ever. We've criticised no, like, her we, in-ring work because, quite frankly, it wasn't that great when she started. However, we've said on this podcast yeah, and... in the last four or five episodes just how fucking much she has improved. Yeah, and, like, we may have made jokes about, like, her promo game, but, like, we don't... Like, I... If, if we ever accidentally did that, I'm sorry, but like we never go out to like actually attack someone's person. I will just say the final thing to add to this is, I don't know if you noticed this, but obviously as DDM were on the ring and sort of Julia's signing off, you've got everyone doing the DDM pose and you've got a very, very teary Himika 
doesn't do the pose and instead is staring very, very jealousy, jealously down at the belt from behind Julia. And I thought that was a really, really, really good visual to end on. The fact that Julia came out on top, but Himika is sour, she's lost, she's humiliated, but she's not finished. And I thought, mm-hmm. what a fantastic way to end this show. The fact that you know there is going to be another match down the line. There is going to be another moment down the line because, yes, Julia is the leader in Down at Del Mondo right now, but it is only at the moment. You've got a feeling that Himika is still coming for Julia. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know. She doesn't seem like the type of person to care about hierarchy, <laughs> which... To be fair, good, eat, eat the rich, but... Hierarchy, <laughs> yeah, hierarchy maybe not. Dominance, <laughs> I think she cares a lot about. Yeah, like, she doesn't want to be the background player of a exactly. faction. It's, she wants to do it her way. I mean, she doesn't it's, strike it's, me as someone who would fall in line, quite frankly. Yeah, we have a Batista Triple H situation on hand. A Diesel Shawn Michaels, a... A Chris and Rob. <laughs> I was wondering where you were going with that. <laughs> so let's talk about Sendai Cinderella then, which the card was announced this weekend for the 15th of November, the next big show on Stardom's calendar. Um, we'll preview this in a little bit more detail um, next week. Um, but I just want to read through the card as it is announced, and Chris, you can give you brief thoughts on what has been announced so far and basically what is tickling your fancy, let's say. So we start with the Future of Stardom title match between Micah and Saya Ida. We've then got a six-woman tag with Starlight Kid, Hanan and Riho taking on Saya Kamatani, Hina and Lady C, the aforementioned Lady C, who will be debuting. We have mentioned her quite a bit, so I'm not going to mention that anymore. Um, we have got another six-woman tag with Tam Nakano, Mina Shirakawa, and ZZ, who will be debuting, taking on Natsukatora, Saki Kashima, and Rina. I guarantee that will be a DQ win for the Stars team. Um, we've then got a special singles match with Momo Watanabe taking on Himika. Um, high-speed title match, which suddenly makes sense as to why Gokikan Death has been kept so strong, because we've got Azumi taking on Gokikan Death. Um, SWA title with Top Gaijin B Priestley taking on Siori. And then the two main event matches, White Belt, Wonder of Stardom title match, Glorious Julia taking on the Submission Sniper Konami. These are the nicknames on the card, by the way. Um, and then the main event is Mayu Iwatani taking on Utami for the World of Stardom title match. Um, overall, Chris, I think that is a really solid, really solid card. What about you? Yeah, that's going to be... It's going to be really fun. I'm disappointed that you weren't just making up those nicknames of the flyer. But yeah, this is just a fun sort. This is what a Corican would be during normal times. Yeah. So I'm really looking forward to it. Of those matches, which is the one you are most looking forward to? And I obviously, we're both massively looking forward to the main event. Mayu versus Utami has the has the ability to be a match of the year contender. It has the potential. So taking that one out sort of 
of contention for a moment. And to a certain extent, Julio and Konami as well. We know what they can do, and we know it's going to be really, really good. What else are you looking forward to on this card? I'm a sucker for a high-speed match. Even with Gokik and Death? She did all right last year as high-speed champ. She was Death Yamasan then. Very different gimmick, Chris. <laughs> very different. I mean, <laughs> we run over wing and yell death a lot. But aside from that, very, very different. <laughs> um, yeah, I get, I get, I, it's going to be an uncanny valley, isn't it? Yeah. Just... Like I'm, I'm, I, I watched Blade Runner recently, and that fucked me up, Plasvin. <laughs> like it dealt with what actually, it actually means to be human, but nah, a Def Yamasan match fucks me up a lot more than Blade Runner. <laughs> I'm looking forward to the SWA title match. I think Suri and B will put on yeah. a really, really good match. I think if we're going full chicken shit heel with B, which we absolutely should do, because I don't know if you saw at the press conference, um, B jumped, um, Suri and instantly regret it because Suri just instantly turned the tide and started beating the shit into her, which was hilarious. Um, I think it would be funny if B came out of Osprey. It would be quite funny. It would be good. Um, I'm looking forward to Momo versus Himika. Um, I've seen quite a few people theorise that Him- um, Momo is on sort of a curve of uh, redemption. Obviously, she's taken a lot of losses recently. She lost to B at Yokohama Cinderella. She didn't win the five star, which her stablemate did. So, you know, there is certainly redemption to be there. I've heard a lot of people say that she's going to be the red belt champ um, at the anniversary show. Um, and basically, good things are going to be coming into play for Momo, and that this is the start of that redemption angle that she is going to be... She's first going to be Himika, then she's going to have another big victory at Osaka, then Yuren Climax and finally take to the, the uh, anniversary show. If that happens, I'm all down for that. I do think she beats Himika here, because, as I've said, she has taken quite a lot of losses, and as Natsukatora incorrectly stated in her promo, she has taken a lot of punishment. Like, not necessarily losses at the hand of Oedetai, but Oedetai always seemed to get some manner of upper hand. I say some manner of upper hand. A chain hanging on her. So she needs a victory. She needs a high-profile victory, and I think this will be the start of it. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I just completely agree. I have nothing to add. (laughs) Right then, Chris. Shall we end it there? Um... We'll be back on Sunday. Um, so what date is Sunday? Just to make sure. We'll be back on Sunday the 8th, where we'll be going through the Goddesses of Stardom Tag League shows that we have missed. And we will be previewing in a little bit more detail the Sendai Cinderella card. And then, of course, we'll be back next week, or the week after, should I say, to actually review the Sendai Cinderella card. Now, that is on the 15th, which is the Sunday, which is when we would usually be recording. For obvious reasons, we won't be able to review it. So we'll be talking, me and Chris, about when would be the best time to do that, and then we'll put it on Twitter and the Discord, showing you and telling you when we'll be recording. But we'll be back on the 15th to record our review of the next bout of Stardom Tag League matches. Just before we sign off, Chris, the update to the Goddesses of Stardom Tag League blocks. Um, In blue block, top of the pile is Momo AZ with six points. Tied in second are Grab the Top and Colour Me Pop, both with four points. Black Widows with three points. And Dream H with two points are at the bottom of the pile. 
red block. We've only had a relative handful of matches in the red block. So currently joint top of the pile with two points are MK Sisters and Crazy Bloom. Crazy Bloom have only had two matches, though. Um, we've then got Aphrodite, who have got one point, one point out of three matches. And then bringing up the bomb, we've got Wingori and Devil Duo with zero points. So final time, Chris, because I imagine the next time we talk about this in any detail will be a little closer and we should have an idea of who is going to win. Who do you think is going to top the block? Who do you think are the finals? Do you still think it's going to be um, grab the top or do you think Momo AZ or Black Widows, sorry, are going to take it? Um, Yeah, I, I'm still fine with my original pick. However, Colour Me Pop has a two chance. Two matches, two wins. <laughs> yeah, and like they've beaten two of the best in Julia, as previously discussed. That makes Steph Yamasan the best wrestler in stardom until she was beaten by Rina. So. That is true. That is true. Anyway, let's sign off then. <laughs> so thank you very much for listening, guys. We really do appreciate it. Please go and check out the podcast anywhere you get your podcast. Subscribe, download, leave us a five-star review, comment. It really, really does help us out. Thank you so much to the people that already have. Thank you. It really does help us out, like I say. Um, you can go check out the website, www.podmania.co.uk, where you can check out all our archived episodes as well as all of our match ratings, including the ones that we've gone through tonight. Um, you can check out the podcast on Twitter at, at the Stardom Cast. You can check me out on Twitter at, at RealRobGoodwin. Chris, where can they find you? The greatest showman official. <sighs> Thank you so much for listening, guys. <laughs> we'll talk to you guys again soon. <laughs>